Welcome to episode 18 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I'm Narayan. And I'm Anisha Motwani. As you might have caught in our last episode, Storm the Norm is now brought to you in association with one of the leading consulting companies in the world, Grand Thornton Bharat. So in addition to the STM hacks we bring you each time with every episode, you will now also get GT Insight, a three-minute capsule by a GT expert on the stormed norm of the day. On to today's episode now. Anisha, we've explored shades of today's norm indirectly in past episodes. With uh, the Lipcherian, we looked at how politics and business mix in contemporary contexts. With Mohit Malhotra from Dabur, we looked at how Indian brands can go global. I think I know where you're headed with this, Naran. <laughs> I'm sure you know me enough by now. Well, when I state the norm, it is going to sound pretty obvious and familiar because it is an inescapable one these days, given the socio-political climate. And not just in India, but in many countries across the world, including the US, although things are beginning to change there a bit. The fact is, the politics of business is such that regardless of globalization, as long as national boundaries exist, local geopolitics will influence local business, mm-hmm. whether it's being conducted by local businesses or global businesses. And today's norm prevails in that sense. Let me state it for the record nationalistic brands will have an edge over global brands in the post-COVID era. These signs have been there for a while, haven't they? China has always been an exception that proves the rule because of its politics. But Donald Trump's MAGA ideology, Make America Great Again, almost demanded a nationalistic fervor from businesses. And of course, the integrity of that ideology is another debate altogether. Brexit has asked Britons to view business from a non-EU lens first. Even in something as critical as a COVID-19 vaccine, the U.S. wants to favor the one developed by an American company, Pfizer in this case. While India has its uh, predilections towards the ones where Bharat Biotech or the Serum Institute have a hand. Isn't it true? I mean, on the surface, it all rings true, Anisha. But even in that most contemporary example, there's more to it than meets the eye. The Pfizer vaccine was actually developed by two Turkish immigrants in Germany by BioNTech. And the one that the Serum Institute wants to supply has been developed at Oxford. But the norm still seems to hold true. I mean, if you look closer at India, the anti-China sentiment throughout this year, or Patanjali's rise in the past few years, Fab India's success at a different part of that spectrum, the emphasis on Ayurveda currently, all these seem to reinforce the norm. If this norm were to be here to stay, as those signs indicate, Narayan, it feels like we'll have to do one of the two things. Throw out the entire playbook for how businesses are built by being customer-centric or include nationalism as the number one strategy in the playbook. You are direct always, aren't you? I mean, I have a feeling though the consumer is smarter and more discerning than media headlines and trending hashtags tell us though. So in which case, why are some brands being so vocal about showing off their nationalistic credentials? Is this norm unstormable? I'm glad we have somebody else answering that question. I'm very glad you asked that question. But instead of answering you, I'm going to conveniently pass it on to an expert who is better suited to responding to it. And someone who has straddled the line between local and global. Our guest expert today is Geetu Gibbani Verma from Unilever. Here with us today all the way from the Netherlands. Geetu is a global marketer and business leader, part of Unilever's global foods and refreshment team based out of Rotterdam. Welcome, Geetu, and thank you for joining us today. 
Welcome, Keetu. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We'll start off with um, asking you this in the context of India. Uh, since Prime Minister Narendra Modi is called to be vocal about local brands, India is experiencing a resurgence of national identity that we've probably not seen since our independence from Great Britain in '47. And back then, Swadeshi was a political tool more than anything else, uh, whereas now this is more economic and uh, while it has a tinge of nationalism, it's obviously experienced um, and expressed in the popularity of foods, traditional flavors, strong local Indian brands, uh, and it influences a, a lot of opportunities and challenges that brands face today. So what's your take on this, on this norm to begin with? Firstly, thanks, uh, Narayan, and thanks, Anisha, for having me on your podcast. And I, uh, I think this is a great topic. So I'm delighted to be here to speak on this and to discuss this with you all. Mm-hmm. You know, to win in the marketplace, you know, you need to earn brand love to win consumers' minds and hearts. You have to get your basic marketing piece right. Mm. The product, price, place, promotion that we all know about. And that needs to start with the right sharp insight. Mm-hmm. So for me, it is immaterial if you are a transnational brand or an only one state based brand in India. You know, you could have a micro local state footprint. You could be a Gujarat only brand. You could be a South Asian brand or a global brand. But it's how you get this piece together that makes ultimately the difference between, you know, winning uh, with people, becoming a winning brand. I believe there were three kinds of eras, you know, I mean, there were, of course, the era where the pre-independence, where the likes of Unilever and all came to the country and those brands have become more Indian than some of the Indian brands have. And then there was the 1990s reforms when we had the, lots of the Hyundai's, the, the, the Korean brand Samsung, and they entered India. And that was when India's economic uh, scenario was opening up. And those brands actually leveraged this whole uh, India suddenly opening the doors to the world uh, with, with liberal economic reforms. And then there are the new brands now, like the word likes of IKEA and you know Amazon and all that are now coming into the country. And at this point in time, India is also ready with its own set of brands. You know, not Indian brands and companies have learned how to create strong, powerful uh, businesses, which wasn't the case earlier. So in today's context, when I, when I talk about some of the new age companies that are coming into the India and at the back of this whole uh, nationalistic fervor that is going about, there is something different that global brands need to do to make a place for themselves, isn't it? So I hear you, Anisha, but I don't know again whether it's about doing things differently or it's really, you know, going back to the basics. So let me let me take the point that I shared earlier further, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I said to win in the marketplace, you've got to get your basic is right. You've got to start with the right sharp inside. You know, let's take a category like tea in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you would agree with me. It's so personal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so local in terms of its taste preference. Uh, you know, the Punjab likes its tea strong and milky. In East, it's the long leaf, lighter, flavorful. It's the dust-based format. In the South, strong as well. And tell me how many well-entrenched, successful players do we have in the tea category? And it's a good, healthy mix of, you know, state-based players, which are household names, 
or you've got players which have originated in India and been able to take their brands abroad. And you've got, you know, a global players like us, like Unilever. And we have loved brands like Brook Bond, Red Label, Taj Mahal in this space. Now, tell me, does the consumer think of any of these brands as either Desi or Pardesi, right? We consume our favorite chai because we love it. We love the taste. We love the idea behind it. We believe that this delivers the perfect value for me. And when I say value, it's not just the right price, but the right value, which means I get the right product, the right kappa, the right experience at a price that is worth paying for for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is it that's enabling these brands to deliver this, you know, this right product, the right taste experience? It comes down to the depth and the quality of insights. You know, as you rightly said, mm -hmm. our country has a lot of diversity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and you take categories like foods and beverages, which cannot, you know, you can't get more local than that. Hmm. You need micro insights because mm -hmm. taste preferences change not merely by state. They change by topography. They're influenced by historical factors, by ethnicity, by affordability. So the winners are the brands which can get beneath the skin of the obvious. They're able to sharpshoot their offerings based on a true understanding of what people are consuming. Why? How? I'm going to pull that thread a little further, Ragitu. Uh, it's really interesting how you've kind of broken it down into, into a fairly simple principle. Uh, but what I'm also hearing is you saying it's, it's horses for courses. There is no one rule that fits all, one size fits all strategy, if you will. As long as you understand the consumer and deliver to them, that's what matters is what you're saying. Having said that, but then the interesting ones that are stirring this debate are brands like Xiaomi, which is purely a Chinese brand, and we've seen the boycott against Chinese brands this year. Uh, right. But as of last week, Xiaomi was the number one selling mobile device brand in India. Right. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, this, this nationalistic fervor also saw the birth of something called Twitter as an alternative to Twitter. So it, it can be a little confusing to navigate these, these roads, if you will. Uh, how should multinational brands be ready to win local and yet retain their global identity, if you will? I just go back to some historical campaigns and some of the catchphrases that, you know, we've of brands that we've you know, grown up with. So whether it's Boost is the secret of my energy or Amul taste of India, you know, or it's Buland Bharat ki yahi tasveer. Or life boy hai jahan, tandurusti hai wahan. Tell me across these lines, are you able to tell if any of these are not Indian and not close to the Indian consumer's heart? So then how do you explain some of these Indian, very Indian categories, you know, which are based on Indian rituals and Indian consumption habits, whether it is masalas or whether it is hair oils, where Indian companies have succeeded far, far more than global companies. How do you explain that? I would actually, again, challenge the hypothesis or the statement that uh, Indian companies have done better than companies, you know, which are uh, global. I would actually restate that and I would say Indian companies have a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you pulled up some great examples and, you know, let's talk about uh, Dabur and let's talk about Ayurveda and let's talk about Chavan Prash or, you know, Hajmola or let's talk about snacking and Haldira. Uh, I mean, these products have incredible 
capability and capacity to travel transnationally there is a fair amount of respect you know given to the land from which yoga came you know ayurveda is the twin sister of yoga you know there is nothing stopping our home grown you know companies to take these offerings abroad beyond the indian diaspora but i want to circle back to where we started from if you will um you know again swadeshi was what it was called whatever 670 years 700 years back and right now we have an english phrase for it vocal for local and and while it may be a phrase that's caught on in india i think this kind of a i don't want to call it anti globalization that would be pushing it too far i think but this level of jingoism i think is visible not just in india in multiple markets uh, but what i'm hearing you say is don't focus too much on the nationalistic undertones over there uh, i but i would rather that uh, every brand focuses on what is the best way to be relevant to the consumer having said that is there a political risk or is there any kind of other risk to ignoring that sentiment also just linked to that so therefore nationalistic pride it doesn't play a role in in purchase consideration let's just take a couple of examples i remember you know creating a campaign on lace potato chips several years ago and you know you and i have worked together on the business anisha so you would remember the uh, and you could call it a very vocal for a local campaign in the sense that you were cheering for your indian cricket team who doesn't right hmm. and that whole communication with bet you can eat just one with saif and kaf in the world cup uh, you know being played in south africa the finals cheering for india yes, uh, you know would we say that lays being a global brand didn't have the right to whip up that uh, that fervor uh, for its local for the indian cricket team of course not right so uh, you know let's let's talk about another example let's talk about uh, you know a big global cause and you know which is the lgbtq inclusion Hmm. and if you bring it closer home uh, you know there are more than 2 and a half million members of this community in india hmm and brook bond in india has led on this you know the larger idea of the brand in that the hospitality extended by a great warm cup of tea can melt all hostilities hmm it's been translated into so many heartwarming stories of inclusiveness or being good neighbors and you would have seen the brook bond you know six pack transgender band or the latest communication at the traffic light uh, you know bringing this cause to life if you care if you are genuine if you are authentic irrespective of who you are right irrespective of your race your gender your ethnicity your your country of origin you fight for that cause you bring it to life so well summarized keetu thank you so much Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to chat on the subject. As promised at the beginning, we now have our special segment with a GT Bharat expert offering their take on the norm. This time around, we have Vikas Vasal, head of tax and market and communications at GT Bharat. Thank you Vikas for joining us today. Now to the specific question for you, how can policy reform specifically help storm this norm? and is there something of special relevance for the msme sector i think uh, the media and press in general have created an impression that probably the focus of the policy is to promote nationalist brands whereas when we look at the fine print and the intent of the larger policy initiatives of the government of india 
there is no distinction being made between a foreign brand or a domestic brand government policies actually aim at encouraging manufacturing and ease of doing business in india they are not distinguishing between whether it's a foreign investment or a domestic investment per se to take an example if we look at the reduced corporate tax rates for the manufacturing or the new manufacturing setup which is 15% and one of the most competitive rates across the globe it actually applies to all the companies whether it's a foreign company or an indian company which sets up its base in india makes the necessary investment and follows the policy another good example on this would be the recent labor reforms which to my mind is one of the biggest reforms which the government has ushered in wherein 29 central labor laws are being merged into four labor codes now does that benefit only the indian brands not the foreign brands not the case it benefits everybody and the country at large so i think to my mind the policy does not distinguish per se between a foreign brand and a national brand it basically encourages to do business in india now having said that there has been lot of push from the government for micro small and medium enterprises that is msmes to scale up their operations and contribute to the overall gdp growth and also the employment generation traditionally if we look at there have been many reasons why msme businesses have preferred to remain small this could be for lack of funds various labor issues or the incentives which the government used to offer uh, that encourage them to remain small now one big change that the government is trying to bring in is a shift in the overall mindset of the businesses especially the msmes to scale up their operations that's the reason recently under the atmanirbhar bharat program the government has increased the overall turnover and investment limits for sme msmes to help them grow and still enjoy the benefits of being classified as msmes thank you thank you so much vikas for that policy perspective on storming this norm it brings a real world application that i'm sure many businesses can use so nanan what's the single most important insight you're taking out of gitu's perspectives you know i'm going to respond with a few examples actually Mm-hmm. and a lot of these will be familiar to a lot of our listeners also bata uh, the shoes that many generations of indians have grown up with thinking it to be undoubtedly indian and actually from a swiss company true taj mahal tea is one of the most popular brands of tea in a country that is addicted to chai but a formerly dutch and now wholly british company makes it maggi that most ubiquitous of instant food items across the length and breadth of this country is again made by a swiss company mm-hmm. and dairy milk arguably the most popular and most consumed meetha in the country is made by an american confectionery company oh and and the car that is most indians first and sometimes second and third cars is made by a company that is majority japanese owned so what it seems to me is that consumers are vocal for local all right but what they actually mean is vocal for what is locally right not merely locally made absolutely i think you've just captured it so well so what's your take anish i mean can nationalism be a strategy for businesses or is this something they should avoid altogether i mean is there an opportunity at all in this for indian brands it's not about whether it can be a strategy it's more about whether it can be an opportunity 
Indian brands now find themselves at the cusp of an opportunity, caught in the crosswinds of political, economic, and philosophical shifts that has made the homegrown proposition more attractive than it has ever been in the last decade. And we heard Vikas talk about what the government is doing to make the MSME segment attractive. You know, mm-hmm. to give them the sops that will make them scale up their business. The biggest challenge with Indian businesses have been that not too many have been able to achieve the scale that they truly deserve. Mm-hmm. So I'm offering these hacks in this context. I'm all yours. <laughs> so the first one that Indian brands need to do, actually, to to make it big on the global stage, is to shun the adjust. jugaad or the setting mindset when india talks of vocal for local it's not about isolating from the rest of the world india has a bigger opportunity to play a key role at global stage and emerge as economic power to reckon with to do so requires that indian industry goes through a transformation of both mindset and priorities in india the word adjust is critical to the cultural philosophy in business hmm. context jugaad or the phrase adjust kar lenge means a wide range of things from turning a blind eye to rules being flouted to finding a unique and inventive solution to a seemingly insurmountable problem actually it is this attitude that is both the cause of misery as well as the most empowering aspect of the mushrooming msme industry but with increasing regulatory oversight those days are over a critical factor today for succeeding in india is to legitimize this jugaad and turn it towards a strong and sustainable innovation pipeline in a sense jugaad is all about the can do attitude that helps them push the boundaries and break down the social barriers but how do we use this whole jugaad mindset to bring in a little bit of structure process science and professionalism behind it is what will be a win win of this mindset being put to use in a structured manner i love this um you know the west has only woken up to the buka phenomenon in the last few years but mm-hmm. that's how we always lived and but they've systematized it and i think what you're saying is don't let jugaad be an ad hoc thing how can you make it into a set of applicable replicable principles absolutely you know legitimize it put science and structure behind it okay what's next many companies actually think and we've seen that more so now um that they made indianness as a strategy and we heard geetu also refer to it you know in so many ways indian nationalism typically does not drive purchase decisions consumer is much much more smarter than this marketing indianness as an advantage is a short term tactic that can never replace the importance of a strong strategy patriotism is a positive emotion but it may not be the most relevant the truth is people care about you only if they resonate with you if they fall in love with your story if your offerings add something to their life give them that value and not just in terms of price or a jingoistic line it's a hard call to state it so bluntly but i think it's a um it's a truth that we must confront and and overcome if we have to uh, hack this the next hack the third hack for me is indians do indian companies do have an advantage when it comes to consumer intimacy and their understanding of what india is all about we all know that india is a very very unique country and local brands must leverage their innate agility and consumer intimacy to rethink their brands their strategies and their action 
we all know that the complexity and diversity of india is not just limited to demographics religion income strata but also includes behavioral nuances current and emerging aspirations and social mores global companies take years to get that understanding right that brings me in many ways connected to the next point about workplace culture actually the today's situation if you if you take in stock is that mnc's have an advantage as they are significantly ahead of indian companies as preferred place to work nationalistic brands have the opportunity to catch up and be as good if not better mnc's are appreciated for their processes and professionalisms while indian companies are valued for job security and appreciating people rather than profiles india's always been a traditionally collectivist community where loyalty and familial paternal protectiveness were historically necessary to survive and even to date persist in indian businesses and relationships so they have a unique advantage of creating a family culture of trust and care to bind employees and earn their loyalty love that point about how to marry the advantage of trust with the um, with the uh, discipline of methodical systems in place and that brings me to the last one mold your technology to the market and not the other way around everybody is talking about technology today but local brands have an advantage in the sense that they can create success with their better understanding of indian supply chain challenges by customizing their technology to modernize logistics but in a way that adapts to on ground realities and who better than indian businesses to understand those on ground realities for example the case of religo a trucking company that's headquartered in gurgaon i mean they transformed how trucking and delivery can be done in india adapting both digital systems and the physical construction of its trucks to improve efficiencies and quality of life of its drivers udan is another indian startup connecting last mile retailers using technology now in only indians understand our last mile retail network only they understand our truck ecosystem and this can apply to several categories so molding your technology to the market and not the other way around is the advantage that only indian companies and indian founders have which they can put to great use to scale up their businesses insightfully hacked as always anisha and i'm going to try and stretch things a little bit because i think uh you you're kind of underplaying the hacks that you've outlined over here because i think add up to something fairly big uh, i mean it might seem like a stretch given globalization and geopolitics that intertwined so closely but storming today's norm is also tied to the highly visible conversations around social justice and equitable distribution of resources and the fruits of globalization um but the point i wanted to actually make i thought what it ought to add it up to if businesses could use these hacks well is you know i saw this headline just yesterday that mm-hmm. this century is going to be the century of asian dominance versus the previous ones that were dominated by western cultures and i can't help feeling you know if if indian businesses took the natural advantages that they have and combined it with the systematic um you know hacks that you outlined here Mm-hmm. that could well be the road map for something much bigger like you said there are cusp of opportunity indeed narayan the implications of storming this norm and applying these hacks go far beyond just solving the immediate context a provocative norm a pithy guest perspective a policy perspective hacks to storm the norm that's a full plate 
to wrap up episode 18 of Storm the Norm, now powered by Grant Thornton Barrett's Insights. As always, there are multiple, multiple places you can catch us on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and GeoSavan, all by just searching for Storm the Norm. Oh, and we're also on Saregama Karwa 2.0 devices on channel 453. This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon. Bye.